welcome to Behind the Study, a podcast from the Institute for Hospitality and Tourism Research. I'm Brian Reback, and I'm talking to researchers from Ryerson and beyond to find out who they are and what they've learned from their experiences. Today's guest is adjunct professor at the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, Dr. Walter Jameson. Our conversation spanned topics including pro-poor tourism, intercultural communication, and generalization versus specialization when it comes to tourism development. Let's start this episode off by hearing Dr. Jameson briefly summarize who he is as a researcher. I worked for a number of years in tourism planning um, and revitalization in Alberta, and then spent 20 years in Asia uh, doing tourism planning in mostly Southeast Asia, but in China. And uh, during that time also had five years in Hawaii where I was the dean of the, uh, the travel school. And then um, after that period of time, retired back to Canada, and so I'm an adjunct uh, at the school um, and have been doing some teaching and involved in some of the research and outreach activities. Oh, wonderful. That's a really good um, uh, summary, sort of, of your long career. I had the chance to look at your resume, and I was very uh, amazed with the work that you've done and the, the places you've been able to work. Um, so, and I, I hope that we can get more into detail with that later on in this interview. Can you speak to any of like the main highlights that you've experienced in any of those uh, places you've gotten to work? Yeah, sure, Brian. Um, actually, I started, you know, more than 40 years ago doing this and um, I actually backed into tourism. I was involved in small town revitalization and uh, historic preservation and uh, in Alberta, and many of the small towns were experiencing significant problems. And um, it turned out in discussions with some of my colleagues that tourism was something we wanted to explore. And I got to um, better understand tourism, uh, looked at cultural tourism in some detail, uh, but very quickly began to uh, base my research and writing around the power of tourism as a tool for development. Um, and at that point, there were very few people, and still are really, that are really doing tourism planning in that sense. And uh, once I got to move to Asia, became much more involved in the poverty reduction uh, dimensions of tourism and have written about it and lectured about it and uh, tried to spread the word about how can we plan tourism where it becomes a tool that allows local people, local businesses to prosper and be better off? And when I first started to do this in Asia, I was at a conference with several hundred, I think, presenters at one point, and my colleague and I were the only ones doing it. So part of the uh, difficulty of doing this is getting people to accept that uh, tourism is more than filling hotels and 
restaurants and planes that um, as we went through the process of overcrowding, it became crystal clear that very often tourism was hurting places and some of the people that were most severely impacted were the local people where rents went up and congestion built up. So that's been a major part of my push. And the other part that I was lucky enough to become involved in is doing large scale regional and national plans. So I did the tourism strategy for the Southeast Asian uh, countries and did the marketing strategy. And that really pushed my research agenda, not only as it related to poverty and development, but how do we get stakeholders much more effectively involved in the process? And how do we get local people seen as an integral part of that? And too often, I think, in uh, large-scale planning exercises and even at the city level uh, in tourism, especially in Asia, but I think everywhere, local people aren't uh, meaningfully involved, and yet they tend to be obviously the most impacted. And the reason why we're doing tourism is to really increase economic development. And so that's been uh, a major push. And then finally, we I produced a book with one, one of my colleagues looking at how we could better plan and design historic inner city areas in Asia, which again brought up all of the issues of engagement, of stakeholder management, of economic impact, and the kind of disruption that happens with tourism in um, many places. Do you think that that's become sort of your your niche in the industry is that sort of consulting work? Yeah, and and do you think there's a, there's many other sort of players in that game? It's really a good question. Um, you know, there's there's two types of academics. This is my view, but I think it's accepted by people like me that there are academics who teach and research and then do a bit of consulting, and then there are practitioners who teach and research and expand knowledge and and use the conventional ways of sharing that knowledge. And I've always saw myself as a practitioner. Um, and that goes right back to my PhD and even with one of my masters, is that um, um, I really strongly believe in action research. Um, um, I really think that we learn best by doing. And so I've been lucky enough that I've been provided with opportunities where I've been able to uh, do a community plan in, uh, in Thailand, one of the first that was done, a community-based plan, as an example. And then uh, because I was based in a university, I was then able to work with colleagues, but <clears throat> write about it uh, in uh, referee journals, uh, have it reflected in the kind of publishing I do, that it got reflected in my teaching and the kind of outreach that I did largely through uh, professional development courses. So um, I view myself very much as a practitioner who happens to be in academia. Um, and so niche certainly is, that if you want to, that's the way I operate. I strongly believe that that's where my strengths are. Um, but I very much worry about the fact that very often people graduating from universities and initially attempting to practice 
um, have very little hands-on experience and um, find it difficult, I think, at times to apply the theories and concepts that they've been presented with. And so I'm a constant supporter of real-world experiences. So students that I've had in bachelor's and master's and PhD programs have all been subjected uh, to um, getting out there and getting their hands dirty and learning from that process. And then the creativity comes, of course, with then based on that, how do you combine that with what we know from a theoretical conceptual point of view, or the other way around, attempting to use consultancy um, as a way of collecting data, understanding situations, and then being able to talk about it in a meaningful way. And I'll just answer the last part of your question, which is really, there are not that many people out there doing it. Um, but on the other, on the same side, there are not that many opportunities also right now. And so the kind of work that I and my colleagues have been able to do in Asia uh, really don't exist in very many cases in a North American context. They do in Africa and they do in South America and uh, in a much more intensive way in Europe. But large-scale strategic planning, um, whether it's you know urban or uh, several urban areas together, there are not that many opportunities, and so the field is limited, and I think really hard at times for younger people to get involved. Though it's absolutely crucial that we have younger people out there doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So get it, getting to, to work, you know, out in different countries and connect with those, the local communities, what kind of impact does that have on a person or has it had on you from your experience? Yeah, a good question. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that we advocate for travel is that it exposes you to new places, new ideas, new people, new cultures, new ways of life. Um, and I've been lucky enough prior to going uh, graduating that I had been able to travel quite a bit. Um, um, but what really struck me as I started to consult is uh, the need to um, be able to understand other uh, cultures, uh, to be able to understand why people did the kinds of things they did, to understand why governmental structures at times were designed in such a way that we, from a North American perspective, might not completely understand why they exist. And so having lived and worked and largely as the only foreigner in for a considerable period of time, um, I then learned how to, I had to adapt the way that I worked and the way that I was thinking. Now, I always feel the responsibility to share my perspective, but it's, um, it's it's important that we understand that. And maybe, Brian, I can take a second and just uh, demonstrate this. Uh, I was working on a project that was funded by the Canadian government in Thailand. And we were looking at how do we best structure uh, community-based tourism and what kind of skill sets and knowledge do we really need to do that? Uh, first lesson I found out is that um, the best workers that we had in our teams, then the teams could be uh, 
anywhere from 10 to 12 people, often were non-tourism people. They were social workers, planners, uh, community economic development people. That's maybe a topic for another discussion. But we, we were working with this community and we were planning an event as a way of coalescing community support. And so we met with the head man and, and his advisors and we were going to do a, city, a, a tour of the village and then a meal. And uh, when it came to the meal, uh, the head man was sitting with us, um, but we were sitting in a little bit of a valley and up the hill a little bit were three or four women. And uh, the, whenever we said we're gonna do something, the head man would turn and say, can we do this? How much is it gonna cost and whatever. And there was almost an impulse at this time as a North American to say, well, why don't the women come and sit with us? And I didn't do that, uh, luckily. And that was an example of needing to respect the structure of that community that everyone was comfortable with. So then I asked my Thai colleagues, my, my female Thai colleagues, and they said, well, actually the women run this village but there's a formal structure. And so then we spent an awful lot more time working with the women and finding out what they wanted, but not in what we would normally see in Canada in a community meeting, um, but one-on-one. -on -one. I wasn't part of that. And they got to build the confidence and trust of the, lo of the women. And we really then found out what the women who tended to keep the community going. And so that's one of the things that we... Uh, always have to learn is that what works in Canada and what might be appropriate in Canada or United States may not be appropriate somewhere else um, and that we need to work around it not that we in any way uh, did not want to engage the women but there were other ways of doing it and often this informal way of doing things using local researchers was the most effective so that when we finished the planning process, we could say genuinely that it reflected the views of the community, not the two or three leaders. And, um, and we've used that successfully in other places. Um, and listening very carefully, listening, watching, to see what's appropriate and inappropriate as we work in these situations. That's, I love hearing examples of you know, those lessons in action. I want to move on to uh, the next section of the, our sort of ex exploration of your career, and that would be the, the limitations. So I'm interested to hear if you've had any challenges or things that have you know, pushed you to, to change um, and how you would recommend uh, overcoming or taking on those challenges. Yeah, um, I was always interdisciplinary. So my undergraduate degree was in urban studies, so that was interdisciplinary. I then went into um, um, the School of Environmental Studies at York, very environmental, uh, very integrated. And so I've, I, I guess my mind always worked that way. And, uh, and so that was one of the, uh, I think the things that allowed me uh, to have some level of success is that I could talk to planners and I could talk to architects and I could talk to economic developers and I could talk to soil scientists and I could talk to people involved in, in environmental conservation. Um, the, the challenge always is, 
is that we um, are generalists. And so one of the ways that I describe who I am, and there's a quite a big body of, of work around this, is that we desperately need generalists. We need people who are able to um, bring ideas together of, um, of, of synthesizing information, of finding common ground within that. The challenge I've had is that I often assume that the people I'm working with think it the same way. And so when I've been a team leader on a team or a member of a team uh, made up of quote specialists, I find it hard at times to understand how they can't see the other dimension. So uh, if you're talking about the conservation of a natural habitat, there is an economic social uh, dimension to it. And so the challenge always is to begin to uh, work effectively with people to say, well, from my point of view, I can see the economic impact of this, um, which could be negative or positive, depending on the situation. And so I think that's one of the, the, the concerns that I always have is that people who are planners, and I'm um, you know, a, a planner by profession, if you want to, is this having this much wider view of things. The, the frustration at times is that you may not be as expert as other people on a team who know more about economics or uh, ecosystems or cultural systems. Um, and uh, you have to live with that, that you have to trust that the, um, the, the specialists you have on a team are going to provide you with the right that right kind of information, but this ability to bring stuff together uh, becomes really important. Dr. Jameson also explained one last challenge as being the management of teams and structuring them in a way that allows everyone to thrive and express themselves effectively. To him, understanding cultural differences is key. Team leadership is a constant challenge as every team will have a different dynamic. In the next section, further research, I asked if Dr. Jameson had any research areas he was interested in exploring in the near future. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interest, interested in two things. One, innovation. I, when I was in Asia, I was lucky enough to head up an innovation program and constantly interested in how we can innovate more in tourism planning and development. And um, uh, I think the service side has been better uh, explored, but from the point of view of development, not as much. And so um, how can we become much more tactical in what we're doing? And so uh, I've been working with my daughter and others on uh, much more tactical types of planning where we are much more uh, comfortable in trying things out, trying new ideas, um, knowing full well that they might fail mm -hmm. rather than doing large strategic plans which may or may not uh, actually succeed. And then what's the, the levels of competencies that go with that? So that's one area that I'm really keen on looking at. Right now I'm working on uh, with my co colleagues at, at the school on how do we introduce the visitor economy to the main street, the business improvement areas, and how can we share what we know about the visitor economy and how can we help uh, small communities and neighborhoods in distress and use our industry to help them become more successful. So those are two things that I'm working on right now. Right, right. And the latter is actually, uh, you know, a collaboration with uh, a researcher at Ryerson, Dr. Tom Griffin, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, so I've 
heard a, heard a little bit about that study from him. It looks really interesting. And I know he's done a lot of work with BIAs in the past. So for our last section, um, every study, of course, ends with a list of references. So I'd like to give you this opportunity if you have any person, thing, experience, or even book for that matter that you'd like to reference as having a, a strong influence or impact on you throughout your career. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, certainly, I mean, I would say that in part it's people. I'm a strong believer in um, a network of people that I work with. And there have been people like, uh, um, and still, uh, Dr. Um, Hawkins from GW, George Washington University, who is somebody that is like me, somebody that is really a practitioner. And Don is a master at working with stakeholders and others. So that's somebody that I uh, uh, particularly look to. Uh, one of my colleagues in Britain, Dr. Hal Goodwin, is the person that really started to identify what pro-poor tourism was. And he is the person I think that many of us would credit, along with others, of starting to look at a very different way of doing tourism, why we do it, how we do it. And so um, um, it, Harold is, is somebody. Now, neither of these people have written a book or many books, right? They, they, it's really their thought leadership and the kind of practice and the kinds of things they're doing. So they would be people that I would feel have had um, a significant impact on um, what I've been doing. And then there's, uh, um, in, in many ways, some of the older writing that I still think is quite um, uh, influential, the work of, uh, of Edward Inskeep, of Claire Gunn, people that really early on were really thinking about why we did tourism and how we could do it more effectively. Much more qualitative kind of work, um, but in terms of ideas, um, uh, very influential from my point of view and helping us to understand how we should be doing planning and how we should be uh, guiding our communities. And so Claire Glenn and, and Ed, Ed Edward Inskeet would be uh, people that I particularly uh, look up to. And then there's a body of people that I've worked with in Asia in particular over the last uh, 20 years, 25 years, um, that I think are in a way leading where we're going. And one of those people uh, is the co-author of our book on historic areas um, and Richard Enkelhart, who is one of those people that thinks in a very holistic, integrated way. And I found that I had several colleagues in Asia who thought that way, that their, whether it was their education or culture or whatever, um, provided them with this holistic view of things. And I really find working with people like that to be um, not only is it productive, but very rewarding, as opposed to people who are very specialized. And I'm, sh and I'm not arguing against specialization, but from my perspective, it's those bigger thinkers, people that are pushing where we should be going and what we're looking at that are particularly useful. I think that's a lovely note to end on. I really appreciate you sharing all of your insight with us. I feel fortunate to have the opportunity to talk to you today. 
is there anything else that you wanted to say to to end on or we can close out the study here well i would just say that um you know the, the school is located in an excellent place the reason i came back to went to ryerson it's well located it's got great faculty and i think um, i would encourage people to feel much freer to contact us to help them with their tourism challenges and opportunities i would uh, i would encourage everyone to do that as well after talking to you today i think it would be definitely in everyone's best interest thank you dr walter jameson for sharing all of his incredible experiences with me as I said, I feel so fortunate to have gotten the chance to speak with such an esteemed researcher and tourism expert for this episode. I highly recommend you check out Dr. Jameson's website, walterjameson.com, to learn more about the vast career he's had and the incredible work he is currently doing. Once again, this was Behind the Study, from the Institute for Hospitality and Tourism Research at Ted Rogers School of Management. To stay connected with the Institute, Follow us on LinkedIn, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HGM Research. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.